The saying is trustworthy and worthy of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Would you pray with me, friends? Father, as our colleague says this morning, we cannot without you please you. And so it is with our listening. We cannot listen to what you have to say without you. So enable our ears, Lord. Soften our hearts where they are hard. Let there be no confusion, Lord, over what your word speaks to us today. Let it be spoken with full clarity and let it be received with full acceptance. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. An exciting day. As we uh, install Gordon, we are reminded not only of his call into the world, but of our call into the world. Him setting an example, of course. You see, friends, the Word of God is uncompromisingly clear about two things. The helpless and broken state of sinful humanity and the love of a God who pursues broken sinners. Amen? Turn to your neighbor this morning and say, God is pursuing you. God is pursuing you. There were uh, report card days when I would come home from school and I would hear my mother call from the other room, Cameron Patrick! <laughs> there were some good ones occasionally and I got ice cream and there were bad ones when I got grounded for a week. The Bible in our readings today, particularly our Old Testament readings, gives us a pretty poor report card, God's report card for humanity. Did you hear it? Jeremiah said, for my people are foolish. They do not know me. They are stupid children. They have no understanding. They are skilled in doing evil, but do not know how to do good. Friends, what was going on in Israel at this time? It was a a, a large-scale apostasy. The people of God who God had shown His compassion to and saved and brought into covenant relationship with Himself had utterly turned their backs on Him. They had begun to worship false gods. Some of their, their chief sins, they were worshiping false gods. And because of worshiping false gods, they were sacrificing children, their children on altars to false gods. The other big one was sexual immorality. Widespread. The psalmist today said, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. All are corrupt and commit abominable acts. There is none who does any good. Friends, this sounds like a prophetic word. These sound like prophetic words that could be spoken over our country today. You see, the, the latest statistics that we have that have been finalized that have come in, come in from a few years ago say that there was over 920,000 abortions performed in that year. Now, I know this is a sensitive subject, and if that has been a part of your life, there is forgiveness and there is mercy for that. But friends, one is too many. One is too many, and we're doing about a million a year in this country. There are drug overdoses happening widespread. In 1999, the approximate number of drug overdose deaths in this country was 17,000. 17,000. In 2017, it is about 70,000. Friends, there's a crisis in this nation. There's a crisis in this generation of people looking for love and wholeness in all the wrong places. 35% of internet traffic is on porn sites. 35%. I was sitting in a restaurant the other day. Mexican restaurant, I'm eating my chips and salsa, and I look around and I'm looking at the wait staff. And I literally can sense it in my soul. I can see meaninglessness and hopelessness in people's eyes. They're lost. They're depressed. They're anxious as suicide rates just continue to increase. 
Friends, it is a lost and broken world. Who will step into the gap and minister the hope of the gospel? The forgiveness and the mercy of Jesus. Turn to your neighbor and say, you. (laughs) You will. Friends, our culture, our culture, it tells us that we are essentially good and should follow our hearts. Everywhere I go, I see posters, t-shirts, follow your heart, follow your heart, be yourself. Friends, I just have to turn on the news to know that that is a load of baloney. You can see what happens when people follow their hearts. I can see what happens when I follow my heart. You see, friends, the problem isn't going to be solved through self-help books or new age gurus or eating kale and quinoa seven days a week to be healthy. Friends, we don't need that. We need a savior. We need someone to forgive our sin and to heal our hearts because this is fundamentally where the problem lies. And I'm all for things that can help like books and and mental health counseling and all of that. But fundamentally what we need is someone who can die for our sins and give us a new heart. And that's exactly the good news of the gospel. You might say, gosh, this is quite a dismal start to a sermon, Father Cameron. Yes, it is, but it's a, it's a true and, 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 and difficult picture of humanity. But it's what makes the gospel good news. And you see, if we don't understand, if we, we can make one of two mistakes, we can kind of say, God is love and grace and forgiving. It's all that. It's all good and everything's great. And that's true. Or we can say the world is hopeless and broken and sinful and nothing's ever going to get better. But the gospel says it's both. The world is broken and sinful. And when you actually see that and you realize it and you realize the problem lies in here in me, that's what makes the gospel such good news. When we begin to understand that God is both holy and merciful. He's wonderful. He's good. Friends, look at Luke chapter 15 with me this morning. This is such good news. Jesus has been laying down the gauntlet and throwing down the gauntlet in chapters 12, 13, and 14 of Luke, telling us that it's going to cost everything to follow him, that we may lose out on family relationships, that things may become broken in our lives because we're following him. And now today, he in chapter 15, he reminds us of the foundation of a life of discipleship, which was an understanding of the mercy of God on our lives, on your life. So listen to what he says. It says this, I love this. Now the tax collectors, tax collectors were not popular in Jewish society. They basically were uh, employed by the Roman government to overtax the Jews. And they also were notorious for kind of taking a little bit for their own purse. And so they were like the scum of the earth to a lot of Jews. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Isn't that interesting? Jesus must not have been on the street corner with a megaphone shouting condemnation against the sinners and the tax collectors because there was something attractive about him, his purity, his gentleness, his willingness to be in the midst of of a sinful context to proclaim light in the darkness. And it drew people to him. Sometimes the church should be ashamed of itself because we're like this. I'm a church person. I don't do, I don't do that. The, the subtle racism I come here come from people's mouths. Oh, those people are interesting. Yeah. Why don't you just say what you're really thinking? This is the kind of stuff that is lodged in our hearts. And then we look at our Lord Jesus and he went to the people who are, who are at their worst in society, who are, who are broken and sinful. He didn't, he didn't despise anybody. He went into those dark and dark and sinful places to proclaim the gospels. 
He obviously wasn't saying, you filthy prostitutes and sinners, you greedy tax collectors. No, he wasn't saying that. But now, now hear me. He was not going in and saying, hey, thumbs up. You know what? Everything is good with me. I just love sinners. And so, you know what? If you want to do that, follow your heart. No, he wasn't. And we know that because at the end of the passage, it says there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. Jesus goes into those sort of settings so to give people an opportunity to put their trust in him and to turn from that lifestyle. Right? Remember we talked about last week, it's not just saying, Jesus, you're Savior, so you've forgiven my sins. It's making him Lord over everything. And he, when he's Lord, he takes us out of the darkness into the light. It's a beautiful thing. He goes on and he tells this parable. What man of you, because the, the scribes and Pharisees, of course, are the religious, they're the churchy people, and they're like, what's he doing over here? These are unclean people. And Jesus tells them a parable. He says this, what man of you having a hundred sheep if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. I love just closing my eyes and getting that imagery of the shepherd who puts the one sheep over his, over his uh, shoulders and he's rejoicing that he's found it. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends And his neighbors, he gets the whole neighborhood together and he says, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Friends, heaven celebrates When someone says, Jesus, I'm broken and I have nothing and I need you. Heaven celebrates. The angels and archangels are blowing their trumpets. God is glorified. There's great joy and feasting over one person, over each and every one of us. Friends, that is the heart of the Father being made known through Jesus' lips in this passage. It's the heart of the Father for broken sinners. Thanks be to God. I'm going to get just a little autobiographical for a second. I was raised in the Christian faith, um, and I, I knew a lot of principles. I knew a lot of scripture verses. I've memorized them in Sunday school, and I had a lot of knowledge about what the gospel was up here. But by the time I was 15, my heart was broken. I was hungry for the world. I wanted to get out there and see what I could find. And by the time I was 15 years old, I was using drugs. I was smoking marijuana habitually. I was getting uh, drunk just uh, multiple nights a week, waking up on couches, strung up on drugs, strung out on drugs, hung over with a pounding headache, feeling emptier than when I started and went into the night before. And Jesus, Jesus looked down on me And in that state, in all of that brokenness and filthiness, and said, I'm going after him. I want him. Friends, it's the same for you. It's the same for you. He's pursuing you. He pursued us. I'm telling you, I should have been dead a number of times. A number of times I was in a bad car accident. I would go into bad neighborhoods to pick up drugs. I took and ate dirty drugs that should have killed me. And I should have been separated from him for all of eternity, living in my sin like that, rejecting him. I wasn't even pursuing him. And he came after me. And he said, let me be your shepherd. Let me heal the tears from your eyes. Let me take the emptiness and the meaninglessness of your life and help you walk into your destiny, into your purpose. 
And I thank him every day for it, friends. I thank him every day for it because I did not deserve it. With St. Paul, I can say, Jesus Christ came to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. And he saved me as an example of his perfect patience for those who would come to believe on him for eternal life. Friends, he is patient. He is patient. Uh, I don't know, is there any poetry fans in the room? Any poetry fans? Yeah, I'm with you. I don't really like it either. <clears throat> but there's one cool story about a poet. His name was Francis Thompson. He lived in uh, England in the 19th century. And uh, he, he, he had a lot of pressure on him from his father to go to med school. And he was in med, 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 study medicine for eight years and just didn't like it, hated it. Uh, withdrew from medical school and was uh, subsequently rejected by his father. Some of us ex- experienced that 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 tragedy. He's rejected by his father and he struggled with illness. He was a little guy who was very frail and he struggled with a lot of illnesses. And he ended up taking opium for some of his illnesses and getting extremely addicted to it, which led to a lifestyle of homelessness uh, with with the the community of addicts and junkies on the River Thames. And he lived that life uh, for three years. But in the midst of it, he knew he was being pursued and he wrote a poem called The Hound of Heaven. I'm just going to read a couple snippets to you today. He starts like this. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind and in the mist of tears. I fled him. That's the story of us humans in a nutshell, running away from his merciful voice saying, no, 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 no. I can find what I need here in this world. I can find what I need in this drug. I can find what I need in this human. I can find what I need in this relationship. I can find what I need in these possessions. I fled him, friends. I fled him for years and years and years. And yet, in spite of all that, God pursues and pursues and cries out to us, the wages of sin is death. I want to love you with an everlasting love. I want to forgive you. I want to take your record of sin that stands against you and I want to nail it to the cross and forgive you and give you a new start. I want to heal your brokenness. There's nothing that you've done that I'm not eager to forgive. He is so merciful. He's so merciful. He pursues us. Toward the end of his poem, Thompson envisions God speaking to him as he continues to live a life of brokenness says this, Whom wilt thou find to love ignoble thee? Save me, save only me. All which I took from thee I did but take, not for thy harms, but just that thou might seek it in my arms. All which thy child's mistake fancies as lost, I have stored for thee at home. Rise, clasp my hand, and come. See, friends, God, he allows people in our free will to chase after things that are hurting us. He allows us to make poor decision after poor decision after poor decision to live in sin and rebellion against him and to experience its effects, guilt, shame, addiction, broken relationships, meaninglessness, because he wants us to seek wholeness in him. As Thompson said, that thou might seek it in my arms. Friends, I have no profound message to speak to you anymore but the cross of Jesus Christ. I want to be like Paul and preach him and him crucified. 
That is my message, friends. The cross of Jesus Christ is our only hope because we need a Savior. We need a Savior. It's where our sin is taken away and paid for and complete without any effort on our own part. I want to read to you this passage from Romans chapter 5, and then we'll uh, come to a close here. We're going to hear a testimony today about God's work in someone's life. Paul says this, For while we were still weak, broken, sinful, addicted, lustful, prideful, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the gospel. You can't do anything to win God's favor. You can't do anything to, you can't clean your own life up in your own strength. Friends, all there is is the cross and he calls us with his open arms and he beckons us and says, come, you're forgiven. I'll make you new. I'll give you everything you need for the journey ahead. I'll take you to the purpose and the plans that I have for you for flourishing and wholeness and abundant life. That is his invitation to us. That is his invitation to you today, friends. It is a beautiful thing. Um, Gordon, would you come up here and get ready to just introduce uh, Meg? I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to hear testimony of God's work in someone's life because there's really nothing quite as powerful as that. Let, let's pray. Gracious Father, we need to not only be intellectually aware of your love, but to know it in our hearts, Lord. So we ask you to send your Holy Spirit, God, to make us so attentive to the words of love, to the, the, the words of welcome that you are speaking over us today, so that we would know without a shadow of a doubt, Lord God, who we are in you as your beloved chosen ones who you have made blameless. Lord, if there's anyone here today who's struggling, doesn't know if their identity really isn't rooted in you, I pray that you'd speak to those broken hearts, Lord, and bring them home. We love you, Lord. We need you for everything. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. This month is Recovery Month. It's not Addiction Month. It's National Recovery Month. Um, I, I read the lectionary a few days, a few weeks ago, and I, and I said, this, this really rings true to recovery. Um, I, I thought about what to say, um, and I was thinking about the prodigal son and how, you know, the, the shepherd goes out and gets the one. You know, my brothers and my dad welcomed me back. I've been in recovery for, and, and Terry's been in recovery. We have almost 30 years of recovery between us. Um, just so you know that um, recovery, the 12 steps of AA, started by Reverend Sam Shoemaker, Calvary Episcopal Church, and Bill Wilson, or Bill W., who started AA, said this, it is through Sam Shoemaker that most of the AA's spiritual principles have come. Sam is one of the great channels, one of the prime sources of influence that has gathered themselves into what is now in a... So Episcopalians have a deep root in recovery. So I've, 
So I, I asked May to come up and share some of her testimony today. Thank you, May. You're welcome. Wow. Okay. This is on? It is? Okay. My name is Meg, and I am a recovering alcoholic and drug addict. Um, when I say that, um, a lot of people will go, uh, oh, my God, you don't look like an alcoholic. Well, I can assure you I didn't look like this 39 years ago. I was a hopeless, helpless, very suicidal alcoholic with a 13-month-old son. Um, part of the AA uh, recovery is uh, doing service, service uh, for others, service within AA. And I was over at Cocoa Beach at a women's conference the Serenity Weekend when Gordon asked me to do this. And so I was like, absolutely. So I drove back at 6.30 this morning so I could be of service, but I did not realize it was your day of ordination, so I'm very honored. Um, like I said, I had a 13-month-old son. Um, I uh, was on the verge of being homeless, and I uh, was living in a very, very bad way, in a very bad situation. And I uh, had to move. I had to get out of there. And so I was uh, asking around to different friends, could we move in with you? And they're like, yeah, for a week. And I thought, oh, no, I need more than a week. Alcoholics have very big egos and very low self-esteem. I needed more than a week. So finally I just got on my knees, and I will never forget my son standing in his crib, holding on and looking at me as if to say, Mommy, what are you going to do? And I didn't know. And I got on my knees and I prayed. And the answer I got was call your parents. And that was the last thing I wanted to do. I couldn't wait to get out of my home where I grew up. But I had no choice, so I called my parents and asked them, could we move back home? And my mom said, sure, but you cannot drink. And you have to go to an AA meeting. And I was like, sure, fine, whatever. Sure, mom. So my father came and got us. I had no business driving with that child in my car because I was drunk and couldn't see. And I remember driving. I was over by the airport driving back to Winter Park with one hand over an eye. So because I was seeing double. I got home and I got him settled into bed. And the next night I went to my first AA meeting. I'd seen literature on AA and it was all about God and, you know, God was there, but I couldn't be bothered with all that stuff. And um, I walked into that, a, that that meeting. It was over in Winter Park. It used to be an S&H Green Stamp place over there, for those who know where this S&H Green Stamp place was. There was an AA meeting there, and I walked in. My mother drove me, and it was a closed meeting, meaning she wasn't allowed to come in, although she probably should have been a member. Um, anyway, I, uh, <laughs> I went in and, um, there was a wonderful woman who came up to me and introduced herself and, uh, told me I never had to drink again one day at a time. And nobody had ever told me that. And she also told me I wasn't a bad person trying to get good. I was a sick person trying to get well. And she gave me her phone number. And she was one of these, uh, she had a polo or wrap-around skirt, and, and I was more of the 
kind of ugly biker, tough girl. So, uh, so I decided I needed to dress like her. And that's a whole nother story. Anyway, <laughs> I, uh, so I went to that meeting and she said, uh, call me. And I went to another meeting and then I looked around and I said, where are all the young people? I was 27 years old. No, I was 26, going to be 27, I guess. Anyway, I was like, where are all the young people? And, uh, I did get introduced to some other people and, um, I was told I needed to go to 90 meetings in 90 days and if I still wanted to drink, I could go back out there. Um, I didn't hear that you could go back out there part. Um, and thank God because I thought once you're in, you can't come back if you go out. But I found out since you could. Um, and so I went to a meeting every single night and I sobbed hysterically at every meeting because of all the shame and the guilt and everything else that I carried with me. Um, I, uh, it was just, it was horrible, the things that I had done. I just could not forgive myself. And in one of the steps, you know, we make amends to those we've harmed. And so my, uh, my sponsor said, you need to jump ahead and forgive yourself. And so I did, but it, I didn't forgive myself. And about three months sober, I went to an AA convention. It was my very first one. And I was listening to an Al-Anon speaker. Al-Anon is for the families and friends and spouses of the alcoholic. Um, and there was a woman speaking, and I swear out of those thousands and thousands of people, she looked at me and said, God has forgiven you. Who the hell are you not to forgive yourself? And I just cried and cried with relief because it finally got to my heart that God had forgiven me, that he is my father in heaven, and he does have a care for me. So going forward, I uh, I still had a very cocky attitude. Um, I wouldn't say I was a drunk. I would say, oh, I'm an alcoholic, and I thought everything should be forgiven. And guess what? It wasn't. I had bounced checks, I had bill collectors, I lost a job, a 13-month-old baby, and I thought, oh, is this what you get for not drinking? I can do a whole lot better drinking because I could manipulate, I could steal, I could do all those horrible things. But for the grace of God, I didn't have to go back out and do that. Um, you know, I, I only have five to seven minutes, and those who know me know I talk a lot. Uh, so I'm going, I don't know what my time frame is, but um, I, I cannot believe when I came into AA, all I wanted to do was not drink. I would pray every morning, God, just let me take one drink, just one. And I've never taken one drink in my life. And um, when I, uh, when I, Lost the obsession to drink. It was, it was just like a miracle. I remember going to a meeting and not wanting to drink, or uh, and saying, you know, I, I don't want to drink. Um, and it was the first time I didn't cry, and I cried because I was so happy. I didn't cry tears of shame. Um, 
If somebody had told me when I came into the program what my life was going to be like in AA, I would have said thank you, but no thank you. Just because you stop drinking does not mean you're going to have a life full of cherries and flowers. And No, it was very, very hard. Um, my son has never seen me drink, but his first 13 months of life were probably a little rougher than, than most babies. I mean, he was taken care of, but I shouldn't have driven in the car with a baby. And I'm just grateful that nothing happened to us, nor did I uh, hurt another family or anyone driving drunk. Um, I was told in the program I had to be a better mother. Every mother should buy their child soccer shoes. But I had to be better than that. So I had to be the soccer mom. And um, and it was hard. It was it was hard learning how to be a mother sober. I knew how to be a mother drunk. Um, and so I had to relearn. I had to relearn a whole bunch of things. I couldn't afford a babysitter, so I would bring him to meetings. And I would just tell him, shh, and you can go have coffee with us. And he did. He grew up in the program. Um AA has given me back my life, my dignity, my family. My parents loved me when they were so ashamed of me. My sister loves me. My brother is in recovery. My sister wonders if she's supposed to be. Should I be in recovery? No, you need Al-Anon, but we won't go there. And I usually end when I, when I tell my story with my children have never seen their mother drunk. I have my son who through the grace of God is normal because I drank and drugged through my pregnancy. I have my daughter, my two younger children, my two girls. My children have never seen their mother drunk and I've never kissed my children goodnight with alcohol on my breath. And for that, I am so grateful. Thanks. Thank you so much, Meg. Thank you so much for sharing that. Those are uh, moments of vulnerability to get up and share something like that. I love, I just want to shine a light on something you said. It was so hard to, in the guilt and the shame to forgive yourself. And when you realize that there was forgiveness, um, that is what brought healing when there was forgiveness from God. And that is so foundational to healing from addiction is to know that there's a savior who paid the price for every drunk drive, for every person that you might have hurt, killed, abused. There's a savior who can forgive that and who has paid the price for forgiveness on on the cross. And so I just thank you again for sharing that story from your heart. It was beautiful. I think the only appropriate response is for us to stand and get ready to worship with our voices in song.